0: Well, those of you who have been a part of our church this year, you know that this season 2022 has been one where we have been focused on a theme that we called re, dot, dot, dot. And we have spent the entire year exploring, evaluating, learning more deeply about some theological and biblical words that begin with that prefix, re. It's really been a year of re-everything as we are making our way out of this pandemic. And so at our church, we have eight seasons of the year is how we make our way through our liturgical calendar here at First Baptist Arlington. And so each one of those seasons has had a different re-word, if that makes sense. And so today's the first Sunday of Advent, so it's time for a new word. And our theme for Advent is remember. And so we are going to think together about memory. Think about all the gifts that God has given you. One of those that I'm sure you're thankful for today is memory, aren't you? I mean, mostly. We're grateful, aren't we, that we can remember? As a matter of fact when you are truly grateful for it is those times when it fails you, right? (laughs) Um, And so we're grateful that we can actually call things to mind. But I want to point you to the meaning of the word in Hebrew in your Old Testament. Because in your Old Testament's written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word zakar, which is in its derivatives, are translated with our English phrase to remember and it's used over 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. And it can sometimes have the idea of appropriate actions included with the act of remembering. In, in other words, when you come across that word in the Old Testament, it can mean just a call to mind. An, a, a mental assent. But oftentimes, it actually refers to actions. It implies actions that are associated with calling something to mind. So, for example, the Bible says in the book of Genesis that God remembered Noah and then he sent the wind to dry the earth. So God called Noah to mind and that knowledge and that memory, it encouraged the Lord to take action. He sent the wind to dry the earth while Noah was in the ark. And so, in other words, Call to mind, act accordingly. Another example, when the Bible says, remember the Sabbath, what does that mean? Does that just mean that you call it to mind every week? Well, yes, it does mean that, but it also means that you take appropriate action. And the way you show that you remember the Sabbath is by engaging or not engaging in certain activities. Well, you and I are going to spend this season just trying to come to grips with what that means to us. What does it mean for Christians today to remember? And we're going to use Luke's gospel on Sunday mornings to guide us, and then we'll look at daily Bible readings all through the, the season to prompt us thinking through our appropriate actions when we call something to mind Luke uses the word remember several times in his gospel. Now, Luke wrote in Greek, not in Hebrews. So it's a different word, but it has a similar connotation. And so today we're going to do just that. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper as Christians? Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. Well, it's an important thing to do. You know, years ago, when I was pastor in First Baptist Huntsville, Alabama, we renovated our sanctuary. Now, can you imagine how upsetting it is for a church to renovate the sanctuary? Have you ever been through anything like that? It's, it's unsettling. I remember when I did it there, I thought to myself, I will never do this again in another church. But lo and behold, we needed to do it here, and it was just as upsetting here as it was there. But I'll never forget on Saturday morning, we were reopening the sanctuary in Huntsville on Sunday the next day. And one of the men in our church was an artisan craftsman and he had made us a beautiful Lord's Supper table in his shop, you know, on, to be on display in front of the church. And he called me, was so excited, wanted me to meet him at the church on that Saturday before we opened on Sunday. And I came that morning, I sat here on the front pew. He had a cloth over it. He unveiled the cloth, and I sat there and looked at it. I said, man, that is beautiful. You spelled remembrance wrong. <clears throat> he had spelled it remember. There's, there's no E in there. You know what I mean? <clears throat> he said, oh. Well, he said several things, but, but he said, <laughs> oh, my goodness. And uh, so miraculously, he was able to take that back to his shop. And you know, you can actually put a little covering over something if you're a woodworker and you know what you're doing, and you can actually spell it correctly. And in fact, there are people in Huntsville who probably don't even know that story. And if they're watching today, now they know that table is still there. And it says remembrance correctly. Well, so what is it that we do at the Lord's Supper? We remember. And so I've actually entitled this message, In Remembrance of Me. So today, we are going to celebrate the Advent season, by actively engaging our memories. So I'm gonna ask our deacons if they would to come and take their places and our ministers who are gonna assist us today here in the Lord's Supper, if you'll find your way there. The text for us today is found in Luke's Gospel, Luke 22. So if you happen to have your copy of the New Testament, I'll invite you to open it along with me as we prepare to receive these elements today. When you come to Luke 22, you're in the final week of the life of Jesus. We have come to that place where Jesus is now looking forward to what's about to happen to him. The disciples have no idea at this point, but Jesus knows full well. So Luke 22, we'll begin in verse 7. It's our custom at our church to stand and honor the Lord Jesus when the gospel is read. So I'll invite you to stand if you can and hear this reading from the gospel where Luke says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> As I said, we are going to receive the elements of the Lord's Supper today. And so what's going to happen here in just a moment is our deacons are going to distribute these trays that will pass by in front of you. And you will find in, in each little um, uh, container in the tray, there's a stacked cup. There are two cups stacked one on top of the other. And so, you just take one of those stacks, if you will, and then separate them, and you'll find the bread at the bottom cup, and the juice will be in the top. In the middle of the tray, there are some little packets. Those are gluten-free. If you need gluten-free bread today, you can get one of those. And today, as we receive these elements, um, we want you to know this is not the First Baptist Arlington Supper. This is the Lord's Supper. It's not just the First Baptist Arlington table, if you will. It's the Lord's table. So, if you know the Lord Jesus and you've made a decision to be a follower of the Lord Jesus, then we will invite you to participate in receiving these elements for us. It's our understanding that these elements are powerful representative symbols. We believe they symbolize for us the very body of Jesus, the body in which he lived his perfect life and taught us the ways of the kingdom of God and then ultimately offered up himself as a sacrifice for our sin. The juice represents for us the very blood of Jesus, reminding us that all of this, this fellowship, this community, the life that we all experience in Christ would not be possible were it not for the sacrificial death of Jesus and his willingness to spill his own blood. And so as we begin the Advent season together as a church family, We're going to obviously celebrate the birth of Christ. But we're going to begin the season by remembering in an act of worship. And we're going to remember why he came, why he was born in the first place. And this is how we will mark our beginning of this season. After you receive these elements, I'll give you instructions as how we are to partake of them. So let's pray and ask God's blessing upon them. Lord, we are grateful today for this time we can spend together in worship, where we can pause in the the midst of sometimes very busy lives and reflect. And today, Lord, our minds are drawn to reflect upon what really matters. And so in these few moments of remembrance, I ask you to draw our attention, our minds and our hearts, to the Lord Jesus. Well, we're reminded that on this evening many many years ago he was gathered in this room with his closest friends and even one who would betray him and it was there Lord in that room that the Lord Jesus chose to begin something new and afresh. something that we now refer to as the Lord's Supper and here we are all these many years removed And so much has happened in the life of the church since then. And yet we find ourselves once again as humble, repentant sinners gathered around this table with these very simple elements, bread and juice. Very common, ordinary, everyday elements, so common in Jesus' world. And yet today for us, they take on a deeper meaning as they point us to something incredible. The miracle of the incarnation and the powerful story of the gospel. So, Lord, may you still our hearts today as we begin our Advent celebration around this table as your people. And we ask, Lord, your blessings on us and upon these elements as we receive them. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. several things to point out. One is these deacons who served you today. Uh, I love these men and women in our church. And this has been a simple, symbolic gesture of their service by just distributing these elements. But these deacons serve you every day. They, along with us, are the under shepherds here at this church. And we serve the great shepherd of our souls. These two ministers, Kurt and Brad, who are standing here and these here on the platform are representative of a whole group of folks who love you and want to serve you. And then we sit here today and you hold these elements in your hands. Think about it. The body of Jesus in the grand scheme of things You think about all the people who've lived in this old world. Very few people ever actually touched the body of Jesus. Not very many, really. And there are a few people that he touched along the way. And then you really narrow the circle when you think about the people who ever actually touched the blood of Jesus. There really aren't that many, Probably a couple of Roman soldiers, pagans, through whose hands Jesus would bleed in the first place. Probably um, Joseph of Arimathea, would you think? Nicodemus. They, they took the body of Jesus down from the cross and carried him to a tomb. But not, not very many people actually touched the blood of Jesus. And so now here we sit in the comfort of this room and of our lives and we hold in our hands what represents to us the very body and blood of Jesus. It's sobering, isn't it? It should be. And so we begin Advent by remembering. Remember what he did for us. The way he lived and what he said and how he inspired us to live better lives, but also how he rescued us (laughs) and saved us from ourselves, from our sins, from hell, so that we might have eternal life. And so let's begin the Advent season by focusing on Jesus, remembering who he is and what he's done for us. So Jesus, that night, he took the bread, gave thanks, And he said, eat this, and remember some me. There's several places in the Passover where you drink the cup. Luke points that out. But then you come to the end of the supper, and Jesus said, this cup, it's the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Drink it. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you, Brad and Kurt, Christy and Charlie. Here's what I'd like to do this morning, if I may, for just a few minutes. Rather than actually deliver a formal sermon, I would just like to spend a few minutes offering some theological reflection with you as we begin Advent, if that's okay. So here's where I want us to start. What, What did we just do? I want us to think about it. Here's the historical context for the Lord's Supper. It was the Passover. That's the original context for the Lord's Supper is the Passover. Well, what was the Passover? It was a time where Jews gathered together once a year in their homes and they remembered. They looked back over their shoulders and they looked behind them and they remembered and recalled this great story where God rescued them from the Egyptians. And the angel of death passed over the homes of the Israelites and their children were spared. And then eventually God would deliver them from the Egyptians. If you think about that story, it is massive. It also is memorable. It's miraculous. These Jews had no standing. They had no government. They had no army. Uh, They had no economy. Uh, They really had no hope except for God. And you know, it turns out that sometimes that's enough. (laughs) And God rescued them. And I know we know that story so well, y'all. It's kind of easy for us to pass over its significance. If you're paying attention, you would catch that. But... The Jews would never do that because it's the grand story for them. It, it's the story of the Old Testament, the Exodus. It, it, it's what defined them as a people. Jesus knew that. And so it's at this moment, he institutes this supper. And so what are we called to? Remembrance. That's what Jesus said. Remembrance. Jesus commands us to share this meal in remembrance of him. And it is time for us to focus on him, his life. His contribution, if you think about it, it's massive. It's memorable. It's miraculous. I'll never forget uh, standing in Bethlehem underneath a very holy church, the Church of the Nativity, standing outside a cave, contemplating, as best we know, most scholars believe, it was in one of those caves under that church where God became flesh. I'll never forget standing there in that place and being overwhelmed with the miracle of the incarnation. You know, the dirt in Bethlehem is no older than the dirt in Arlington. Y'all know that, right? It's, so it's not the age of the dirt, it's the meaning of what happened there. It It was right there that the miracle of the incarnation took place. And that changed everything, changed our calendars, changed the future of humanity. It launched the age to come, and nothing would ever be the same. And it's massive. If, if you don't know how massive it is, just go try to find a parking spot here in the next few weeks at a shopping center in America. <laughs> Everybody celebrates it. Some of them don't even know what they're celebrating, but they're in on it anyway. It's massive. Jesus has changed it everything. And it's certainly miraculous. And apropos for us, it's memorable. But then also the church made some changes. So here's what I'd like to do, if I may, for just a minute or two, reflecting on this. And if I can say this politely, uh, I want to offer you some theological precision this morning, if I may do that, if you'll allow me to. Um, and it's something that I think is important because we live in a day that is anything but precise in its communication. We, we don't have a lot of precision, in my opinion. Everybody has loose lips in our culture. And words are just thrown around, redefined on a whim. And if you want to really learn theology, if you want to spend some time reflecting upon what really matters, I think it's important that we have some precision in our vocabulary. And so I want to give you my take on that this morning and acknowledge the shift that Christianity brought to religious fervor and expression. Because if you think about how the Jews did things, most of these religious experiences took place at home for the Jews. Passover, the marking of the calendar. Now they had the temple, they had the tabernacle and if you were a Jewish male in those days, you should be in Jerusalem at least one time in your life for the Passover, but most everything was done at home. Well, the church is going to change that. Christianity is going to shift that religious fervor. It'll still take place in people's homes, but the homes will be the gathered community of the people of God. And so things like what we just did, the supper, is to be done by the church, the gathered community of the people of God. That's a shift in religious fervor, if you will an application of religious conviction. But if I may, let's talk a little bit about vocabulary this morning so that we're a little more precise in our language. So for example, sometimes people refer to what we just did as a sacrament. And I would tell you that for those of us who are Baptists, that's our persuasion and that's my denominational conviction, I'm okay with you using that word, as long as you use the very broad definition of the word sacrament. Because there are really two definitions of sacrament. And I wanna make sure we understand them. One of them is a narrow definition. One of them is a broader term. The broader term sacramental just means holy mystery. And the word sacra, you see that, that little um, root there, comes from sacramentum, which is the Latin word that translates the Greek word musterion in the Septuagint. And so I'm fine with that as long as we use it that way. But if you use the word sacrament in its more theologically precise meaning, that word means that it's an instrument of grace. It's a means by which the church dispenses grace. And so in other words, that understanding theologically implies that the church receives the grace of God and the church distributes the grace of God to its congregants. And the church does that through the sacraments. So that might be what we would call the Lord's Supper. It might be through baptism, it might be through last rites, it might be through holy unction, it might be through penance, it might be through confession. In other words, the church dispenses grace. When you use the word that way, then I would say for me as a Baptist, I shy away from the use of that term respectfully. We use the word ordinances in our church. That's our historic word. And we have two of them, baptism And the Lord's Supper. We've experienced both of them in this service today. So with that said, are y'all still with me? Okay, with that said, let me just quickly run through this with you if I can. Let's talk about our vocabulary. We refer to this as the Lord's Supper. Where does that come from? Well, that's the emphasis on the special nature of this meal. It actually comes from the New Testament. First Corinthians 11 verse 20, Paul says, now when it comes to the Lord's Supper." He's referring to what they're doing in the church at Corinth. And it implies that it's the Lord's. Whenever you see Paul use the word Lord in his writings, he's referring to Jesus. That's Paul's word for Jesus. And supper, it's a meal. So the Lord's Supper is an emphasis upon the Lord's meal for us. Now, we will all agree all we received a moment ago was just a taste, right? Just all you got was a taste. You didn't get the full meal, Just just a hint, if you will. There's a reason for that, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Sometimes what we just did is referred to as communion. There are some denominations, some members of the Christian family, who would rather refer to what just happened as communion. Well, if you use the word communion, then the emphasis then is upon our shared life with and in Christ. In other words, we're communing with Christ, we're communing with one another, and that's, I believe, is a good word to express what just happened. It was a time for us in community to be in the Lord's presence and to be in the presence of one another. Some folks like to use the word Eucharist to refer to what just happened. Well, the word Eucharist means it, to give thanks, it's an emphasis on gratitude. It's actually an English word that's transliterated from Greek, and the word Eucharist just means to give thanks. Um, where does that come from? Well, Jesus gave thanks. And then he broke the bread, right? He, he shared it with his disciples. And so it comes from that word. That word is, a, I think, is an appropriate word to describe what just happened for us. It's used more formally in theological language as an expression of gratitude when we receive these elements. And then the final word is the word mass. That's the word that's used by the largest church in Christendom, the Roman Catholic Church. And the word Mass actually comes from a Latin word where the emphasis is being sent out in mission. It comes from the word missive. It means to be dismissed. It means to leave the church. You've been consecrated through a worship experience. You've been in the presence of Christ. You've been in the presence of one another. And now you are dismissed to go out into the world and take this message to the world. So the word Mass comes from that word in Latin. I would tell you that most Protestants have shied away from that word simply because of its affiliation with Roman Catholicism. But it is a word that implies the mission of the church. Now here are the four theological views of the Lord's Supper, let me give them to you quickly. What do we believe theologically just happened when we received these elements? Um, one view is captured by this word, transubstantiation. That word means that the elements themselves are transformed. That is the view of the Roman Catholic Church. And so in their understanding of worship, when the priest pronounces at a certain point in the service what typically a lot of people just refer to as the Mass, that's the common vernacular, but it's actually a worship service. As I said, the Mass implies and connotes the dismissal of the people of God. But regardless... Transubstantiation means this, that at a point of time in the worship experience, the priest will announce, he will declare, that this bread and this wine has actually been transformed now into the very body and blood of Jesus. In other words, it's not a symbol, it's not representative, it is actually the body and blood of Christ. It comes from the statement of Jesus where Jesus says, this is my body. And that is typically what is said in the worship. The priest will hold up uh, what's called the host. The reason it's called the host is because the bread now is hosting the very body of Christ. It's an Aristotelian application uh, in Aristotle's understanding of substance. So if you study the philosophical underpinnings, that's really where it comes from. But it's a theological conviction. The table upon which that is performed by the priest is not referred to as the Lord's Supper table. In that theological perspective, it's referred to as the altar Because it is there that a sacrifice takes place week after week. Does that make sense? So transubstantiation is one view. Martin Luther, who led the Reformation in the early 1500s, there were several points of concern he had with Roman Catholic theology. This was one of them. So Martin Luther coined a new term and a new representation of what actually happened at the Lord's Supper. And our Lutheran brothers and sisters, which is really probably one of the largest Protestant denominations in the world, they teach what's called consubstantiation. Consubstantiation, Luther taught, Christ surrounds the elements. In other words, Luther said, he rejected the Aristotelian view that the bread and wine became the substance of Christ. What he said was Christ was present, But he was underneath, he was around, he was behind, he was in front of, adjacent to the elements themselves in ways that didn't happen anywhere else. So if you broke bread at home, you wouldn't have consubstantiation. It only happened in a worship uh, experience at a church being led by a consecrated priest. John Calvin and several other reformers came along and they said, Luther, you're too Catholic. You, you, you can't get out of your Catholic self. And so they came up with what's called spiritual presence. It's what John Calvin taught. And many of our Protestant brothers and sisters believe this. That is that Christ is uniquely spiritually present. It's also a rejection of the Arist- Aristotelian view of substance. And so that the, the um, bread and the juice, once they're blessed by the church... Christ is present in a very unique way that he's not present in any other time. It is a unique experience and expression of the person of Jesus where you're celebrating his death on the cross. And then finally, there's the last view, and that's the memorial view. It's a powerful view that embraces the symbolism of the moment, and it's a sacred act of worship. This would be the traditional Baptist view. That is the idea that uh, when we read the text when Jesus says this is my body we understand that to be metaphorical language just like Jesus says i am the good shepherd or then he'll say he'll say that and we know what that means but then he'll say i am the gate well, we understand that to be two different things if when he says i am the good shepherd that means that has to do with his role with us in a personal relationship but then he'll say i am the gate or i am the door or i am the bread of heaven that's metaphorical language and that's how we interpret this is my body that Jesus is pointing us to something so that this bread and this juice represent something beyond itself. It's our understanding that the bread and the juice are symbols for us, and the transformation actually takes place within the celebrant, not in the elements. Does that make sense? In other words, the transformation takes place in us, not in the bread and the wine. You just saw uh, Buck be baptized our understanding of baptism is very similar. It's a memorial view. In other words, when we baptize someone to us, it's symbolic, it's representative. It points us to a greater reality. We don't believe that baptism washed away the sins of the sinner. We believe Jesus washes away the sins of the sinner baptism is a symbol of that cleansing. It's a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a symbol of the new life of that person. And so it's an expression, if you will, of something greater than exists within itself. So those are the four views. We as Baptists have lived with the last view. Our heritage is found in a man named Ulrich Zwingli. And if you've never read about Ulrich Zwingli, I'll just challenge some of you young people just to Google Zwingli and look him up. He is a mighty man of God. He was a pastor in Switzerland, colleague and contemporary Martin Luther's. And Zwingli argued for the memorial view of the Lord's Supper and had a profound influence upon the branch of the Reformation that we call home as Baptists. And so my view of the Lord's Supper, my view of uh, baptism is that it's a powerful, symbolic, sacred act of worship. Now, that affects a lot of things, y'all. It's stuff you may not even think about. But it actually affects church architecture. So so let me explain what I mean. So if if someone were to drop you, are y'all still here for, this is just gonna take a, a minute or two. If somebody dropped you in a church blindfolded and you have no idea where you are and you don't know what these people believe, here's how I can help you. If they remove the blindfold and you look at the platform and in the middle of the platform is a table, okay? And on either end of the table on the sides are two pulpits, then what's just been communicated to you architecturally is a theological conviction. Here's the theology of that architecture. The most important thing that's going to happen in this room today is going to happen at this table. That's why it's in the center of the platform. Sometimes that table will be on another platform, and when you elevate the table on the next platform, that lets you know that what's going to happen here is super, super elevated and important. So it's the elevation of the Lord's Supper on the platform. If that table itself is on a platform, that even communicates further to you The most important thing that takes place today is at this table. So, if the view is that there is going to be a sacrifice, in other words, the body and blood of Jesus, that's the most important thing that takes place today, and it's on this elevated platform. Does that make sense? You walk into our church, okay, you're blindfolded, they remove the blindfold. What's in the center of our platform? A pulpit. And where's the Lord's Supper table? It's on the floor. So architecturally, we've just communicated something theologically. What we have said is, in this understanding of of the application of the Christian faith, the most important thing that will happen in this room today is the proclamation of the gospel. And once you hear the proclamation of the gospel, and you make the decision to receive the power of the proclamation of the gospel in your life, then you'll find your way up here. And that's what we want to happen for everyone. You'll find your way up here and you'll be baptized. And then you'll join the ranks of the people of God and you'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together around this table. So it starts with the proclamation of the gospel, the reception of the gospel, and then the living out of the gospel together in community. Does that make sense? So we have architecturally made a statement today by how we've even designed this room. And so what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to be inspired, encouraged, encouraged, nurtured, and challenged by what happens in this pulpit. And if you're not encouraged and taught and instructed and challenged and blessed, then you need to get rid of whoever's standing behind this pulpit or you need to find another church. That's what I would say because that's how it's supposed to work. And when that happens, your life is blessed, the church's life is blessed, and we live together in community as the people of God. So even our architecture says something. And I want you all to understand something. I have complete and absolute respect for however you choose to live this out. So I have deep respect for my brothers and sisters across the Christian family who view this a little differently than I do Um, because some really, 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 really smart people disagree with me about some of this, okay? My view on that is everybody can be wrong just every once in a while about one or two things, (laughs) including myself. And so... I hold it all a little loosely, but it's my conviction. That's why I'm in this church, okay? So with that said, let's talk application. So what just happened spiritually? That's kind of a theological explanation of the Lord's Supper. What about spiritually? What's happened? Well, let me just give you three quick points. Here's what we just did. We remembered. When you took these elements, you remember what Christ has done for us. The Lord's Supper is the symbolic act of worship that reminds us of His sacrificial death on our behalf, that enables us to have eternal life, fellowship with the Father. So that's what you just did. You just celebrated that. You remembered it. You remembered the Gospel. You remembered the body of Jesus in which He lived the perfect life, taught us how to live, showed us the path to heaven. You remembered His sacrifice, His blood so that you could be forgiven for your sin, so that you could receive this gift of eternal life. You celebrated his resurrection, that he overcame death and burial. So the focus of the Lord's Supper as we look over our shoulders in the past is Jesus and what he's done for us. Second spiritual application is we celebrate our communion with him and each other in the present. So it's not just we look over our shoulders, we actually celebrate what's happening right now. When you take the Lord's Supper, You are celebrating the fact that you're living your life in communion with Jesus and with one another in the present. He's called us to live a holy life together as the people of God. So the Lord's Supper represents that celebration for all of us together as the people of God. And then finally, do you notice what Jesus said? I'm not gonna do this again until one day I'm with you in glory. Until one day this is consummated. So we anticipate the consummation of the ages upon his return. So in other words, in the future... Something different is going to happen. There's not, think about when we get to heaven, when we get to glory, right now we just get a taste. Guess what we're going to experience then? A feast. And we're all going to celebrate it together at the great banquet feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb. How appropriate is that this week? Any of y'all have a feast this week? Did you? How many of y'all ate it all? Just I'm, I'm talking about just wiped it out. In other words, when everybody finished, you looked at the table and there was just nothing left. Probably not. In our bounty, guess what happened? We packed it all up. Guess what we did on Friday? We just ate it again. You know, we had so much left over. Well, let me tell you what the day is coming where we are at that banquet feast at the wedding supper of the Lamb, and we're going to feast, and the leftovers are going to be better than what we had the day before. And then those leftovers are going to be, you're going to say, how can this get any better? I don't know, but it's going to be better tomorrow than it was today. And today was better than yesterday, and yesterday was better than the day before that. That's how it's going to be. It's not going to be just a little taste. No, you're going to pour it all over yourselves. That's how it's going to be. We're going to be spilling it on each other, enjoying it, licking our fingers. I'm just telling you all right now, it is going to be a banquet feast feast. We'll all enjoy. Jesus said, I tell you what, when I I do this again, it'll be then. But until then, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is celebrating for us. The new age, the present age is over, still barely kicking, but the age to come has been established. Jesus said, it's the new covenant in my blood. Hallelujah. So when you take the Lord's Supper, you look behind you, you look around you, and you gaze into the future and anticipate what is to come. That's how we start Advent this year, as people who understand the very reason why Jesus was born in the first place. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we love you and we thank you so much. Lord, as we gather around this table, we can't help but be reminded of how you've blessed us, how you've changed our lives, how you've sent your son, and all that he's done for us. We want to thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, that we've been able to mark this season with that celebration. And I trust, Lord, that it will be in our minds and our hearts as we go to all the parties, all the festivities, all the fun, all the family gatherings, all the meals, the musicals, everything we go to and enjoy. May we enjoy it, but may we also have our minds fixed on Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen. I want to invite you to respond if you feel led to today. So let's stand together if you need to come join this church, give your life to Christ, want to give you the chance to do it. Maybe it's just to renew your heart and get ready for Advent. Do that as well while we sing. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Things really, really quickly, if I can just tell you. Y'all know that our church is a very generous church, and I want to thank you for your generosity you just give. I've been with you 21 years, and you are you are just incredibly generous. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. You know our budget runs from uh, April 1 to March 31. And so December is always, the end of November and December is a huge giving time for us as a church. I just wanted to show you real quickly where we are. We have a slide that shows you where we are. And last year, we increased our budget by over 7%. It's so the largest increase maybe in the history of our church. And so uh, we're a little behind where we thought we'd be right now, but here's the good news. We're ahead of where we were this time last year. So thank you for your generosity. Praise God for that. But I encourage you to continue to be generous and gracious as you um, give to the cause of the kingdom of God through the life of your church. Second thing, we need to celebrate Katie and Ryan Hodges have had their triplets. (laughs) So... We've got our, um, our flowers here. Well, here they are. Jack Andrew, 3'12", Benjamin Reed, 41, Little Samuel Green, 3 pounds, 9 ounces. Katie and Ryan are watching us at home. Can we say congratulations and wave to Katie and Ryan? Um, okay, I don't want to embarrass y'all, but some people don't know this, but Katie's aunt and uncle actually are part of our church as well. Tony and Edie are right there. Do y'all mind just waving so we can say hey to y'all? There's the aunt and uncle. And um, so we're excited. And uh, Katie is home from the hospital. Our three little guys are still in NICU in the hospital and will be for a while to get them um, continue to grow. They're healthy, they're stable. We're grateful to the Lord for that. And we're looking forward to when she brings them home and to us, right, so that we can get our hands on them. That's what we want to do. But we're excited and uh, for this little family, and looking forward to their future together. Um, also, I-, I meant to say this at 8:30, and I forgot. Some of our longest church members, longest-standing church members, Mr. and Miss Sherman, um, Johnny and or James and Edna Sherman. I went to their 79th wedding anniversary earlier this past year. I- I've never been to a 79th wedding anniversary before in my life. But um, um, but they're incredible people, and um, the Shermans are big time part of our family. Well, Miss Edna died a few weeks ago. Mister James has just died, and so they're reunited in heaven. And uh, his funeral is going to be this Saturday at ten o'clock at Moore Funeral Home. And uh, I know that family would appreciate you remembering them. But as we go today, we go with hearts that are full. I hope grateful to the Lord for what's happened here today. We've begun the Advent season by being reminded of why Jesus came in the first place. Let's go and be messengers of that truth. So God bless you, and you're dismissed today. Thank you for joining us at First Baptist Church Online. Uh, Brad and I have just a few things for you before you go. One, if you want to know what's going on in the next few weeks at First Baptist, because there's a lot, because it's Christmas, it's busy, it's visit fbca.org hello. And you can find really any link you need there, but particularly our church calendar is.